All right, welcome back to the Green Mountain Sports Roundup. I am Ernesto Sanchez, and I'm here with John Downing and Marty Griffin, and we're here to give you a quick roundup of this week in sports. Gentlemen, how are we doing this week? We took a little bye last week. I'm sure everybody noticed, but we're back strong and better than ever with two weeks rest, ready to attack the week in sport. Gentlemen, how are we doing? It's been kind of a crazy week. I think I started the postponement of it last week with a dying car and then a flat tire yesterday. I just feel like uh, I'm on a bad streak right now. I feel like the Cowboys winning percentage. (laughs) None of the bounces are going your way, Marty. (laughs) No, not right now. So, with that said, all is good. Great to be here with you guys and talk a little sports. I'm good. I got PlayStation 5 on my mind. I'm trying to find a way to get it. Um, so, I, I'm just, you know, that's on the forefront of my brain. You know, midnight tonight, I got my alarm set, you know, and then in the morning, I'll be, I'll be hitting up the Targets, the GameStops, the Walmart, trying to get my hands on it. But the problem is, is that everybody wants it because it's, you know, COVID and the holidays are coming. So it's a hot ticket item, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to get it, get it done. So we'll see. Hashtag priorities. Oh yeah. (laughs) Gotta get it. (laughs) Who would have thought a year ago that I would be so into video games? (laughs) Nobody, I hadn't played in 20 years, you know? now, Now I love it. So obviously we have a ton to get to, uh, this week. So let's get right into our number 60s for episode number 60. Marty, you want to kick us off? Uh, yeah, we kind of knew when we get in these certain numbers, we're going to be thin, but uh, I pulled up Dallas Kucha from <laughs> Dal- Houston Astros. Uh, was back God bless to- you. 2012 uh, to 2000, currently 20. He's been in the league, started out with Houston, had his best years in Houston so far uh, up in his career meaning 2015, he was the AL Cy Young winner, had the most AL wins as far as uh, pitching in the league, uh, won a championship in 2017. But uh, 15 by far was his best year at 20-8 and eight record. Pitched a great season this year with the uh, White Sox, Johnny, 6-2, uh, and two, had a uh, 199 ERA for a, a blooming, what I think, White Sox team that could be pretty dangerous if they get that pitching together because they got the hitting. So what about Tony Russa? Oh, we could talk about that, too. I totally forgot about that. Oh, Mr. Second DUI. Mr. Do you know who I am? Mr. I'm in the Hall of Fame. Mr. <laughs> fucking hire a driver. Seriously. Come on, you're making millions. Anyway, uh, Dallas was also a four-time Gold Glove, uh, like I said, World Series champion, uh, 2017, and two-time All-Star. My number 60. I'm going to go next. I'm going to do a often mispronounced Canadian goaltender uh, by the name of Jose Nicolas Theodore. Looks like it's Jose, but it's actually Jose. Wrap your mind around that. I would have nailed that the first try. (laughs) He played uh, for the Canadians, the Colorado Avalanche, the Washington Capitals, Minnesota Wild, and the Florida Panthers. But I think he's best known uh, as a Montreal Canadian. He won the President's Cup and the Memorial Cup as uh, as a junior player. Played eight seasons in Montreal uh, where he won the Vezina Trophy and the Hart Trophy uh, in the same year, which is awesome. 
Uh, you love you love to see it when a goalie uh, wins the the most valuable player uh, award, and that was in two thousand and two. No hardware uh, in the way of championships, but an awesome player. Uh, he's one of the the goaltenders uh, who have actually uh, scored a goal, uh, so that's pretty cool. One gold uh, with Canada in the World Junior Championship in 1996. And in his career, he was a three-time All-Star, won the Bill Masterton Memorial Trophy in 2010. In his career, uh, he played 648 games. Uh, His record was 286, 254, and 39 with 30 ties, a 2.68 goals against average, and a 909 save percentage. Jose Teodoro. Johnny. Okay, my number 60 for the week is Patriots center David Andrews. He went undrafted in 2015 out of the University of Georgia. Uh, He's 28 years old, and I think, for me, he's one of the more unheralded linemen in the NFL. He did miss last year with a heart condition all of last year, and I think that was a big loss in the Patriots line because the prior year, in 2018, he was one of the – key forces in helping the Patriots uh, steamroll through the 2018 playoffs and and with the running game as they were able to beat the Chargers and then upset Kansas City in Kansas City and then beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. And I think that the running game, he was the main anchor for the running game and for the Patriots. So I think that there were obviously a few other main components, but definitely before Sony Michelle, I think, David Andrews deserves a lot of credit for helping the Patriots secure their sixth Super Bowl in 2018. He also was the center for the Patriots in 2017 and 2016 when they made Super Bowls. So he's a two-time Super Bowl champion and, you know, just a a huge unheralded member for the Patriots. And that's my number 60, David Andrews. All right, short and sweet. Let's get into something that I never thought I would say, but Augusta in November. In November, right? No row of magnolias this year, buddy. No, not at all. As heralded in tradition, there's a lot of non-traditional things going on uh, at the Masters this year with no crowd being this late in the year. Uh, weather conditions are going to play a difference uh, in the Masters as well starting tomorrow. Um, and you're looking at a little bit of a different thing too, Johnny, uh, for any DFS players out there. Um, because what you're looking at is it's been normally a cut. Basically, if you're within 10 strokes of the leader, you make the cut. So just figure last year they had 67 players make the cut, but they're making the cut automatically at 50 this year, no matter the stroke difference. So if you're some of those DFS guys who are playing, you know, some of those deep, deep sleepers thinking they could just probably make the cut, keep that in mind because uh, that might change how you set your lineup and how you spend your money. But I mentioned, uh, you know, softer conditions starting tomorrow. We're looking at uh, rainy weather throughout the night. It's going to be mostly cloudy tomorrow, 79. So this gives opportunities for softer conditions and shorter distant players to play a role because these balls are just going to plug and not move. Definitely changes the idea. It puts those long ball hitters uh, a little bit more at risk because they're going to play a bit more longer target golf. Uh, And if you get into you know, hooking the ball, slicing, and, and being out of the fairways, you're in trouble automatically. 
at the Masters. The recoveries are there, but it's a very tough course, and you got to expect that the tournament Masters, who are setting this up for the weekend, are going to make these conditions tough as can be and make this as competitive as, as can be. Uh, so let's get in some, into some of the players. I think automatically John Rahm is the favorite to win. He's been playing incredible. Don't know if you guys watched the other day practice round. He got two hole-in-ones in one day, one on number four. And it's always funny on 14, they always try to skip the pond and, and knock it on the green and get it close to the flag. And he got a hole-in-one on that. Is didn't clear the ground for 147 yards, went over water, and then green uh, to find the hole. One of the most crazy hole in ones ever in history. So I think wow. you got to look. I got to think you got to look at John Rahm. Mine that I'm going with my as a top three. You're looking at Bryson DeChambeau, John Rahm, Dustin Johnson. I'm going Dustin Johnson. He's just been electric. He has been has the most calm demeanor on the course. He is the world number one. Um, he had not played in seven weeks, played down uh, in Houston, and was in the top ten after not playing for seven weeks. I think he's just dialed in. I think he's ready to go. Then you got your mid-level guys you want to spend some of your money on. Uh, Shoffley, great guy, great iron player, uh, could play this course really well. Probably one of the most consistent guys in the league, but he's kind of barring to this point of, like, why hasn't he won? Why hasn't he won a major tournament yet? He's just kind of right there uh, in that discussion. So hard to bet on him to be in the top five, but I definitely put him in to make the cut and put up some good scores. Tony Finau, uh, also a great guy um, who you got to keep in mind uh, in that grouping, along with Justin Thomas. Patrick Cantlay, who uh, had a great run in the final round last year, uh, but Tiger uh, stole the show, as we all know. Still one of the best comeback in sports history in my mind. Him coming back and winning last year. Um, and then he got Morikawa, this kid, who took the U.S. Open. Uh, was phenomenal. Some of the most amazing shots. He's considered already one of the best iron players on the tour in his young career. So you definitely got to keep him in mind. Late snoozers, I'll just go over names and we'll go over each one of them. If you play DFS and you know golf, you know who they are. You got Justin Rose, Patrick Reed, Tommy Fleetwood, Fowler, and uh, Jason Day. These guys are always consistent. They could have a bad round that knocks them out. We talked about soft conditions the first day. Um, it can be uh, that can cause some problems for Fleetwood and also Justin Rose. Uh, Patrick Reed is a great, um, just short game is probably the best in all the PGA. So if he can find the fairway off the tee box, he's a good pick for you. Marty, Who's I the, got Marty, yeah. I got uh, Tiger Woods here at forty to one odds. Uh, that can't be a I, bad play. It's not a bad play. I think he'll make the cut. I just don't think with the limited amount of, of tournaments he played in this year, uh, sprinkle in the majors and the breaks he was taking. I just, I don't even think he's coming in thinking he's going to win this year. I think he's almost kind of content still with last year winning, coming back. I know he's seeking his sixth jacket. I don't think he's going to really push it to make that run. If he has a great first day and he just buys into that thought that it could be his, we could see that turning on. That's what Tiger does. It's great for it's great for television. It's great for the sport. And he got, he's always a factor. I'm just not, and it's, you know, me, I love Tiger Woods. I'm just not putting him in my lineup uh, for this tournament. Um, but you know, it's Tiger Woods. Yeah, who knows? The guy is unbelievable. He is the goat for a reason. Um, late sleepers. Ustizen, a uh, great tournament. Open player has a great track record at the masters. You got Paul Casey, uh, Fitzpatrick, Zach Johnson, Ansir, and Poulter. 
It's going to be so interesting to see something that is such an institution and so built around tradition and doing things the same way forever is affected by doing it in a completely different way for the first time ever. Oh, absolutely. I mean, not having the the par 3 tournament. It, yeah. There's not having the, you know, the the row of magnolias and and the crowds and and the reverence and and you know, the, it's just the uh, Yeah. <laughs> just uh, uh another uh wrinkle in this crazy COVID world that we have. Moving on to a more somber note, uh, Celtics legend, the 1956 Rookie of the Year, Bill Russell's best friend, Tommy Heinsohn, passed away uh, very recently. Johnny, thoughts there? Yeah, so he definitely embodies everything that there is about being a Boston Celtic. He was a longtime player for the Celtics winning eight championships, and then he coached the Celtics in the 70s and to two championships in 1974 and 76. Uh, Then he was a broadcaster for a long time. He did the NBC broadcast in the 80s and then became the Celtics broadcaster with Mike Gorman doing that for the last 39 years. And he's known, I think, by most people as the announcer broadcaster for the Celtics and one to be very harsh and critical of the referees, but he's definitely meant more to the Celtics than just that because in his playing days, he was tough as nails. His nickname was Tommy Gunn because when they passed him the ball, he was always going to shoot it. He was never going to pass it back to you. Um, (laughs) But he was also very clutch when they won their first championship against St. Louis. He had a huge game, 37 points and 22 rebounds in game seven. Uh, to lead them to, to a victory. So, yeah, Tommy Heinsohn was an all-time great, went to Holy Cross, so he was a, a local kid. Well, well, not just, not local where he was from. He was from New Jersey, but he went to Holy Cross, so he played locally, and, you know, Red Arbach took him, and, you know, he had him and Bob Cousy and Bill Russell, and they all played together. And like I said earlier, he did coach in the 70s. He coached – um Havlicek and Dave Cowens. He's a two-time Hall of Famer, once for being a player, once for being a coach, and probably could go in again as a broadcaster. But, uh, yeah, he passed yesterday at the age of 86, and it's a big loss for the Celtics family. So if you're a Celtics fan, um, definitely just try to think of all the good times. The Celtics arena will be definitely missing something without him in the years to come. Definitely embody what Boston was, what Boston sports was. And also Bill Russell stated this week that he openly admitted that he only keeps a few friends in his, li- in his life, and he lost one of his best ones uh, this week. Uh, definitely a, a tough loss for Boston. Yes. Uh, yeah, so he said uh, when Tommy Heinsohn, they were both rookies in the same year, and Tommy Heinsohn won Rookie of the Year, but it was only because Bill Russell missed half the season playing with the Olympics team. <laughs> So when Heinsohn got the Rookie of the Year award, he said, you know, you should give me half the money for that because the only reason you got it was because I wasn't around. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we're talking about legends passing away, too. Let's just sprinkle in Sean Connery and Alex Trebek this week, too. All the greats in their own own right. R.I.P. to Canadian legend Alex Trebek. (laughs) What is sports? (laughs) <laughs> I'll take the rapist for 600 That's a therapist 
<laughs> Suck it, Trebek. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on with a little bit more of uh, Boston sports. It was just announced this week that Alex Cora, recently discarded manager of the Boston Red Sox, would be returning. No longer disgraced by his cheating scandal with the Houston Astros, the Red Sox clubhouse making a statement here. They want their guy back. Yeah, so I think that the players and ownership won on this one. I think general manager Heim Bloom had his doubts, but I think just being that some of the leaders in the clubhouse being Sander Bogarts and Eduardo Rodriguez and some of the Latin guys, they really thought highly of Alex Cora, and I think the ownership group did as well. And I think the Red Sox have taken such a hit in the town of Boston and the surrounding regions lately. This past year has been an absolute disaster. I think their fan base has, has just been beaten down brutally and to the point where there's no good, there's no bad, there's just... I don't care. And there's nothing worse for a sports team when people say, I don't care. I don't care if you're playing. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care. Nobody cares. And when you have that kind of a feeling around the region for the Red Sox, then you, you better do something big. And it was supposedly down to Alex Cora and Sam Fold, who used to be a, a player for the Rays, and he's from New Hampshire, uh, more of an analytics type guy, though, now. And I think that was Heim Bloom's first choice. But Sam Fold wouldn't have gotten the spark necessary for the Red Sox. I think that Alex Cora does reach an audience. or you, People will know, and I think they'll forgive, that people will know that he won in 2018, and they'll forgive his transgressions with the Astros and potentially the Red Sox, uh, just because he also has a personality. And I think that's important. And I think, like I said before, the players identify with him. And it's maybe a small step in a direction. I don't know if it's the right direction or the wrong direction, but it's a step in a direction for the Red Sox. The sport, the organization has just kind of become, in my mind, a, bu a business that does not like to look back, especially if it's bad business or a bad look. They like to look forward and forgive and forget, in my mind, lately. Um, I think also, also with the Astros winning, uh, doing well this year, um, and the fact that I thought it was a very light punishment for the Astros as a whole, it softened the blow and, and helped the movement of all this to happen much faster. I thought core would probably be back in three to four, I mean, maybe four years, but I didn't think he'd be back this quick. But like you said, Johnny, uh, the Red Sox are hurting in a way they need to identify with some type of winning attitude and a winner. He is a winner in, in, in his own right. So uh, losing Mookie and kind of losing that championship lore. And and I think they just need to identify with something and be excited about something. And it's sad that it has come to this for Boston fans, but uh, it looks like it's, it's done enough for the Red Sox organization so far with the fan base. They've done everything wrong that they, they've done every, everything wrong in 2020. And before that, they've been doing things wrong for the last couple of years, everything wrong. And even to even when they announced Alex Cora, was it today or yesterday? I think it was yesterday. John Henry wasn't even there. The owner of the team wasn't even there. He wasn't available on Zoom call or anything. And that that is bizarro. Like, right? When since when does you know, this, does a team hire a manager, uh, the face of the team, 
and the owner is not present. And since when has that happened? That's just bizarre. And I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. And I'll tell you what, if they do intend to raise ticket prices, which is a usual Red Sox tradition, good luck. Good luck with that, because I'll tell you what. People don't care about the Red Sox. They don't well, the, think they, well, they don't think badly about them anymore. Like that's one thing. I felt badly about them for months during this year, but now, like, I don't even care. Did they, did they sell out in 2019? As um, far as home, because they had like one of the longest. Yeah, they, they did. They one did. of the longest runs with the um, with the advent of the secondary market. Everything sells out every time. There, yeah. there is no more. No sellout games unless you're in, you know, f- fucking, I don't know, Pittsburgh or something. <laughs> I was like, is he gonna say it? He should say it. I did, I was try I was trying desperately to think of some other place, but really, yeah. I mean, you can get you can buy a five dollar ticket from a crackhead right outside on the Roberto Clemente Bridge. Tampa Bay can't sell out. I Come dare on. the Red Sox to raise prices. I dare them. Do it. Do it. Just do it. I, do it. Ooh. I want to – yeah, let's see. Let's see how that works out. Raise the right. prices. All right. So I want to I wanna really um, capitalize on this moment of Johnny, like, starting to get a little bit worked up and transition right into our favorite segment, the Fraud of the Week. Well, this week's Fraud of the Week is a little bit of a softer Fraud of the Week. It's, it's potential Frauds of the Week because I don't want to – I know we're supposed to have strong opinions Ooh. and – be all in and Johnny, take, throw the, take, throw, take a throw big the, stand. I know I'm supposed to take a big stand here, but I'm not going out to with do the bathwater. Well, okay, is, so there is this were a two, new sound? Is this, there, is this fraud, fraud watch? Fraud watch? Fraud. Well, listen, listen, guys. There was two teams that had poor showings this week, and one in particular. And I think that everyone who knows me knows that I'm not going to right off Tom Brady and that would be stupid. <laughs> that, that would be, that would be stupid. All right. They're six and three. They've lost two of their games to the saints. Do they look bad? Absolutely. They looked like absolute fucking straight trash. Did he look bad? Absolutely. But I mean, we've learned over the last 20 years, just don't write off Tom Brady. This just is don't, what don't do when it. You bring poison into your house. This well, is what happens okay. when you invite the devil in. Okay. Antonio well, so- Brown is the fucking devil. That's a discussion to be had. And is it is it causing a riff? So, all right. So, but fraud of the week, part one, obviously. Part one. <laughs> has to go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for losing 38-3 to to the New Orleans Saints on Sunday Night Football. And they looked like the worst football team in the history of football teams. Tom Brady looked like, I don't know who, but nothing close to Tom Brady. He looked like uh, Nate, Nathan Peterman from the Bills <laughs> when he threw five interceptions in the first half years ago against the Chargers. That's what Tom Brady looked like. He was unbelievably bad. And watching the game, I, was, I just could not believe my eyes. I'm like, what is going on here? You look at the field, and they have players like Leonard Fournette, Ronald Jones, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski, not to mention – what's supposed to be a good defense and they are getting absolutely torched. And then on offense, when they got the ball back, they couldn't even get a first down. I mean, it yeah. was three and out three and out three and out. And then they even set a record for the fewest rushing attempts in the history of football. They rushed a total of five times in that game. And the last one was just a kneel down to get the game over with. So they actually only had four actual rushing attempts in that game. I mean, that was a pathetic, 
performance if I've ever seen one. And if you have the Buccaneers as if you have money on the Buccaneers as a team to win the Super Bowl or to win the NFC this year, you are not feeling good. And I'm sure you want to get out of that position as fast as possible at this point. But I would say it's Tom Brady. Hang in there. Sometimes the Buccaneers are going to Buccaneers. Like we've all, like I've been saying week after week, they are the Buccaneers. They are the worst team in the history of sports for a reason because they do Buccaneer <laughs> things. And one player, one player, Tom Brady, cannot fix that all on his own. And as bad as it looked, it's not over. But like you guys were starting to mention, there is one concern question mark is that they brought in Antonio Brown and did Bruce Arians, the coach, want that? Did Tom Brady want that? Did the general manager do that? Mike like, how did, didn't how, want that. Right. So <laughs> did the players want that? Chris Godwin didn't want that. Well, that's the thing. So are players split? Is the team divided? Is the coach and Tom Brady divided? Because the coach called out Tom Brady again yesterday, and he did that earlier in the season. And that's I Bruce think Arians, that though. There's he, a developing rift. There's a developing rift between the coach and Tom Brady and no, Tom Brady why? doing what he wants to do on the field, running plays that he wants to play to run. And then Bruce Arians not getting his way. And when Arians sees that it's not working, then he's going to feel free to call Tom Brady out. Listen, but guys who wear Kangos on TV just have that kind of personality, man. They don't give a fuck what anybody thinks. <laughs> it's an Win or lose, we booze. but you got to think johnny you got to do something more with mike evans than just going vertical every time i don't think marty i don't think mike evans is a good receiver i don't i think that he checks out of routes i think i think he's a fantasy football receiver i think he's a stats patter i think when when the team is down big i think that he's good for a couple bombs and he pads a stat fantasy wise for for that and i think that's been maybe a mirage over the years because Mm. He he bails on on routes, and if you play with Tom Brady, that's the first thing you got to know is you can't just check out of your route right, if it doesn't right. look good. He wants you to fight through and complete your route, and it doesn't look like Evans is doing that. And there were times in this game that he was open, and Brady doesn't even look at him. And I think that that is another situation to monitor going forward. So I I've been wondering since early in the season because. I wondered what is going on with the relationship between Brady and Evans because Evans is supposed to be a Pro Bowl all all pro receiver, but those numbers aren't supporting that this year, and Brady's not looking his way as much as we would think. And I just think that there's something more going on there, and there's potentially he's not a really good receiver. I don't think. I think there's a reason that Brady likes the guys that run crisp, sharp routes, like little guys like like Edelman, like. Uh, Scotty Miller, the little guy, like Godwin, run, runs a good crisp route. And I think that may be the reason he wanted Antonio Brown Antonio to come Brown, in because he runs a good that. route. Evans yeah. Evans gets lazy on routes, and he he gets stupid penalties. Like, he gets into fights with cornerbacks. Like, he's been famous for getting into altercations with Marshawn Lattimore of the Saints over the years. And, and there's just he has the type of personality that I think doesn't mesh well with Brady. And So this could be, on, this could be a, even in a locker room situation because this is a team where – you know, Mike Evans thought he had a you know path to leadership in some ways, and here comes Tom Brady. But Tom Brady doesn't like your routes. You feeling pushed out of the organization. Here comes Antonio Brown because could this just divide the locker room, the offense as a whole? It'll be interesting to see what happens going forward because the next week's game is against the Carolina Panthers, and I think what the Panthers have shown us since the first week of the year is that 
they're going to fight tooth and nail, no matter who they're playing, how undermanned they are. They're going to, they're going to play hard. And they like, they did this past week against the chiefs. And so it'll be interesting to see if the Buccaneers can get back and bounce back against the Carolina Panthers, or if they get into themselves into a dogfight again, or if they lose. It'll be something interesting to watch for sure. Let's get to fraud of the week part two. Okay, Fraud of the Week Part 2 is something I think that we've seen coming for most of the year. Even going into last week, they had the worst defensive numbers in the last 10 years of the NFL and the worst secondary numbers in the history of the NFL through the first eight games. So the Seattle Seahawks lost to the Bills, and, you know, the Bills are no great shakes. We've already we've already come to, to know that. And, you know, for DFS, every week it's pretty simple. You know, you start – whichever quarterback and whatever two receivers are starting against the Seattle Seahawks. It's such a plug and play automatic. It's bizarre that the guys aren't 100% owned. There's something going on there. And the fact that they traded two first round picks for safety, Jamal Adams from the jets, and he hasn't helped one aota. In fact, he's actually getting in fights with the coach Pete Carroll on the sideline now, as I think Pete Carroll is saying, you know, we gave you, we gave up two first round picks and this is how you help us. Like you're not helping us. You're actually making things worse. And teams can just do whatever they want against the Seahawks. And if Russell Wilson isn't perfect, and he had some fumbles in this game against the Bills, he had a couple interceptions in this game against the Bills, so he wasn't perfect. And if he's not perfect, then they're susceptible to lose. And even in the games when he is perfect, usually the games are close. And it's because of that defense just being so porous. And it's unbelievable. And his as much as everybody thinks that the Seahawks are a good team and a Super Bowl contender, I think that's all because of one one guy. I think that's all because of Russell, Russell Wilson. Wilson. And I so teams that are a one-man show don't win Super Bowls. And I think, you know, we're starting to see on the field that the Seahawks just aren't good enough to overcome the bad play all, all on the field aside from Russell Wilson. You know, he'll be able to do it some weeks, but – I think when they play good teams, they're going to get continue to get exposed. Even when they play bad teams, they get exposed. Look at look at what Cam Newton did to them in week two. Like Cam Newton tore them up, and we it's been proven that Cam Newton is not good anymore. <laughs> Johnny, have you ever seen quarterback with more giveaways be the odds-on favorite for the MVP? Russell Wilson? Yeah. So he was going into last week, but the four takeaways and Mahomes having a good week – it's saying it sounds like Mahomes has overtaken him as the front runner for MVP again, which is I mean, he's got eight sad. interceptions on the year. Yeah, and, and fumbles to go with it. Aaron Rodgers good... has eight interceptions in the last six years. Yeah, even Rodgers is, is playing really well right now. It's still a perfect script for Wilson, though, because if they can still compete and make the playoffs win a couple of games, you know he's gonna be a quarterback with this defense coming back every game to win. So it puts him in a good position still. For numbers, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's why all, all season long it, you stack whatever team is going against the Seahawks and you bring them back with or, – or you either play Russell Wilson and one, one or two of his receivers. I mean, it's yeah a pretty simple formula for DFS this year. Don't forget Cowboys put over 50 on them. Yeah. So that, those are the two frauds of the week. I think the Seahawks have a chance to remain frauds. I think the Buccaneers – I, I hope we'll overcome this fraud of the week, but they may be permanent frauds. We'll see. <laughs> well, let's get into the week that was week nine um, in the NFL. B, 
began on Thursday with the Packers in San Francisco, or more accurately, Santa Clara. And the 6-2 and two Packers took it to the 49ers, which are basically uh, a JV team again, led by Nick Mullins. Who the fuck is that? And the Packers handily won 34-17. to 17. Yeah, this was kind of a boring game to watch. It was a Packers route from the get-go. Of course, the 49ers were missing player after player after player after player after player. And the list goes on and on and on and on. So Richie James was a shining star for the 49ers, especially in garbage time, racking up some good DFS points and 184 yards receiving with a touchdown. Uh, Nick Mullins didn't have a good game on the flip side. Aaron Jones ended up playing a little bit. He was questionable going into this game. Uh, But Devontae Adams continues to be the best receiver in the NFL. And it's honestly, it's not even really close. The guy is just, he leads the NFL in receiving touchdowns and he's missed a few weeks this year. The guy is just unstoppable, especially if you cover him one-on-one. That's a recipe for disaster. So it'll be interesting to see what he does going forward because teams should start double-teaming him because if not, you're just asking for trouble because Rodgers just looks his way so much because he knows one-on-one it's just a, it's a mismatch. Um, he may be the best route runner in the NFL. Nice. Okay, next up we have – the New York football giants at the Washington football team, the two and seven giants against the two and six football team. This week, suck ball as the giants win 23, 20. Well, one of these teams or the Eagles is going to win the NFC East. So somebody's going to have a freaking playoff game. And Alex Smith was back and he threw three interceptions. Uh, <laughs> Doing Alex Smith things. Yeah, Kyle Allen got hurt, and he looks like he's out for the year. So it yep. looks like it could be Alex Smith going forward, although if they can't protect him, it's going to be a short stint for him at starting quarterback. Um, on the flip side, you got the Giants. Okay, they're the Giants. Okay. All right. I still, I'm still hanging on that $50 bet. It's going to be the Eagles. I know. I know. It's <laughs> Yeah, I know. That was... <laughs> That was a poor decision on my part. <laughs> you bleed Next. cowboy blue. <laughs> Next up, we have the five and four bears at the six and two Titans. The Titans managed to uh, stem the bleeding and pull out a win here. 17 to 24. Yeah. So the bears did a pretty good job containing the big dog in this game. Uh, Henry only had 21 carries for 68 yards He was never really able to get going, Um, but we did see that A.J. Brown scored a touchdown in his fifth straight game, and he's becoming an unbelievable receiver, I think. I think he is the next Terrell Owens. He's just big, physical, and he is really good at football. He's just a machine, I think. Uh, I think you you got a big dog, and you got A.J. Brown. I think you're in business every week, and you're a dangerous team. And it's so funny. The the Titans are such... A sneaky good team. This is their best start through eight games since 2008 when they went eight and zero. But I feel like nobody's really talking about them as real contenders. But they're they're going to be a tough out. Well, their defense is suspect. That's a problem. Their defense is potentially fraudulent, and I think that's the reason they lost to the Bengals the week before. You know, defensive issues, and they almost blew this game. You know, they had a big lead and they allowed 17 points. 17, yeah in the fourth quarter, but 
you know, they're a good team, and if they can get on top early, like, and they can play the game the way they want to play it, which is get the big dog going early, and then and build and just build the lead, and then just lean on you throughout the game. If they can control, if they can play the way that that they want to play, then you're in trouble, usually. But um, it's definitely an offense that wants to suck you in. Kind of you don't want to get. Play the they don't want to get down. They yeah. don't want to get down because they have a hard time being a comeback they're team. Just, well, they'll just wear you down with that running too. I mean, you right. get through an offensive line that they have, and you got that Mack truck running into your linebackers and secondary. It wears that defense down quick if they can control the clock and the time of possession. Alrighty, next up we have the Lions at the Vikings. Uh, Dalvin Cook with another huge game, over 200 yards and two touchdowns in two straight games. Uh, glad I got him on my team, baby. Woo! Yeah. Woo! Yeah, he is a stud worth having. Vikings win 34-20. Go, Johnny. Yeah, the Vikings are just doing what they do, and what they want to do is run the ball, and if they can play the way they want to play, they're just going to run, run, run all day long, and you know, if they don't need to pass with Kirk Cousins, then they're not going to. And the past couple of weeks, Dalvin Cook has been plenty enough running the ball. And, you know, Detroit on the flip side is just seems like they're always Detroit. And, you know, Stafford left the game with, the, with an injury in this one. Not sure if he's going to come back and play next week. And uh, unfortunately, the Lions are just so hard to pinpoint as a team like do they have a running back? Is it Swift? Is it AP? Is it Carrion Johnson for receivers? I know Galladay's hurt, but they they have Marvin Jones. They have Amendola. They don't throw to Hawkinson enough. They're just they don't put it all together. They never do. It's just it's it's like why can't the Lions ever just do something smart? Has Matt Patricia entered fraud talk? Yeah, I don't think that he was ever legit. So I, I don't know that, you know, I, I don't. That's I think the, to be a fraud, I think that you have to be at least one time a contender or a legit entity. I don't. I think that if you're just suck, 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 then I think that you know you're not even worth mentioning as a fraud. Right? Can't fall from grace if you're never at grace. Exactly. There, yeah. There, there, there you there go. Was, there was a lot of hype around him coming in and being the coach, though, that is going to change the culture. Yeah. Well, the th the thing about bringing a culture from one place to another is it's it's not something that you can just come in and install. It's something that kind of has to develop naturally and then just be there. And it's really the players that uh, drive that system. You know, these guys aren't these guys are on these teams are professionals. They're grown ass men with mortgages and families and charities and all these things that they do. And if you got somebody coming in, especially somebody who's a little bit on the younger side, you know, who thinks very highly of himself, who feels like he's one of the anointed one and, you know, tries to tell you how to go about your business. It, you're going to have a hard time getting some locker room buy-in. You know, this isn't a college team. You can't just be a Nick Saban or, you know, you can't just come in and rule these people's lives. These are grown ass men. Thanks, Bella. Think Belichick disowns them after they go on a losing streak. <laughs> <laughs> Probably kills him with silence. So you're saying, Nesto, a little 
few curtains and you know a scented candle and different lighting is not going to change the culture in the locker room. <laughs> well, I just I don't think that you can come in and start. Oh, I get it. You I know, totally get demanding, it. Demanding demanding a certain kind of standard without having it having it start from from your players and and work you know the top down. It is a real thing though. I think you almost see it more in even college football with some of these college football coaches that come in that they're just going to change the culture and concept. And that's a little bit different because what you're talking about, because these kids are still impressionable and young and need a good leader. But uh, you know, the the hype is real around these uh, coaches and the pressure is real. And what we see right now, Matt Patricia is not holding up to uh, his end of the deal. Okay. Moving on. We had the, 17 and 1 in their last 18 games the Chiefs uh pulling out another win against a, a damaged Panthers team McCaffrey just uh disappointing a lot of a lot of fantasy owners out there who are happy to see him back uh big bust there the Panthers losing 31 to 33 to the Chiefs McCaffrey was tremendous though he had a huge game in yeah. this week but yeah, two but the touchdowns, fact, ten the catches. Fact, the fact that he won't be back next week. Oh, right. So he got hurt late in the game. He hurt his shoulder. So, yeah, it looks like they said he's doubtful for week 10 and not really sure going forward. Could be could be a collarbone or an SC joint injury, and we're not really sure if it's maybe a one-week or we're looking at multiple-week absence. They haven't, they haven't said exactly what it is yet. It is only Wednesday, of course. It just happened a few days ago. So look for that information. Um, but, yeah, it does look like he's going to be out for at least this week coming coming forward. But I thought the Panthers played the Chiefs extremely hard in this game. They really yep. did. They had they had him on the ropes, and, you know, the Chiefs and Mahomes had to had to dig deep. And, they, you know, it took a big, big day from Tyreek Hill and a big day from – Travis Kelsey, and they had to pull out the fancy plays, the Ferrari playbook to pull this game out. So kudos to the Panthers for fighting hard again. It's kind of their MO is they play hard, and you love to see that. Good, Yeah, good games that way. I think there's a lot of upside to this organization, this Panthers team. I like Bridgewater. He's got that three-year deal, and if you can keep McCaffrey healthy, and Samuel, who's who's been a, you know, a receiver for the Panthers as well, I think He's getting more integrated each yeah. week. So Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore obviously receiver the number duo. one and two. Yeah. But Samuel is getting some carries each week in the backfield, and he's getting more and more touches as a receiver each week. And so I think that that is an added element to their to their offense of explosiveness. Uh, because you know he was a running back at Ohio State, so he he has that a running back and a receiver's body type build. Yeah, he's good. So good right. for them. Did you see that? One play where uh, Bridgewater needed a first down, and he he jumped up and over, just total ballsy play towards the yeah. end of the game. And that's just, you know, when you've got your quarterback making plays like that, where you're diving over players and into players for the first down in the crucial parts of the game, that just does a lot for your team and the organization. And it says that everybody's in it to win it, and, you know, they're willing to sacrifice. And so... Like I said before, the Buccaneers better watch out this week because the Panthers aren't going to lay down for anybody. This is a kid who, if he doesn't have that devastating injury as a quarterback at the Vikings, where he would be now in his career, 
Um, and he's he did, he's done nothing wrong. He was great when he filled in for Breeze and the Saints last year. He's done a hell of a job, in my mind, this year uh, with the Panthers. So, so I, I'm going to watch that team closely. They're fun to watch. Speaking of uh, fun to watch, the, the opposite of that, uh, we had the Texans <laughs> at the Jaguars. The Texans pulling out a close one, 27 to 25 against some guy named Jake Lutton. Luton. Luton. He had a good game. In his first play, he had a long bomb, long bomb touchdown to DJ Shark, and Shark had had a tough go of it with Gardner Minshew in the last few games. So to see him have a huge game in this one with Jake Luton was promising because Shark's a really good receiver. So if he has a quarterback that can get him the ball, then there's – you know, he'll be good the rest of the season and going forward. But, you know, the Jaguars have a really tough schedule going forward. So this may have been their last chance to get their second win. And they fought hard, but, you know, the Texans pulled it out. Uh, Fuller had a good game. Cooks had another good game. And, um, okay, so and not much to say about this one, really. All right. Next up, we have the Ravens at the Colts. And Baltimore has... 20 or more points in 31 straight games, which is an NFL record. Pretty impressive. Highlight of this game uh, for me was watching uh, Philip Rivers get run the fuck over. <laughs> <laughs> We're now saying, does do you bench him? Do you, do you make a, a midseason move here in the Colts? The Colts turned down Tom Brady. Tom Brady's team reached out to the Colts. Do you want Tom Brady? They're like, no, no, we already they got to do guy. it. They couldn't do it. They couldn't bring themselves to it. Same with the 49ers. He wanted the 49ers were Brady's first choice. And they were like, no, we got Jimmy Garoppolo. We're going to stick with him. But they thought about it. But the, the 49ers had Brady. I mean, that'd be something. God, that would have made Bill so wet if he would have, if they, if he could have negotiated a one to one trade for well, Tom Brady and Jimmy well, Garoppolo. I, it's, yeah, might, he might get Garoppolo back next year because, like we mentioned, I think last week, is Garoppolo has a $2 million buyout coming before the next league year. And other, if they don't do it now, then they're going to, the Niners are going to be on the hook for over a hundred million dollars to Jimmy G. So yeah, no way. I mean, do you think that they're going to make that kind of a commitment? No, they're not. They're probably going to say, bye, we'll buy you out and buy. See you later. And they'll go yep. Shanahan for the 49ers. will go and try to get either Matt Ryan or Kirk cousins who used to coach for both of them. Once in one in Washington when he was a coordinator there and one in Atlanta when he was a coordinator there. And I think he would like those quarterbacks better than Garoppolo. And I think they would come at a cheaper cost than Garoppolo. Um, I think that contract was a big mistake. So that all brings to circle back around. That brings us to Garoppolo will likely be a free agent next year. And hello, Bill Belichick. He might get his sweetheart back. Is he worth it? And if he goes there, is that Belichick's ego saying I can make him into something? Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it. The guy can't stay on the field. Yeah. I don't like it. I, I, I will get to what I wanted, but back to the Ravens and the Colts. In this game, I think that the Ravens are really – you mentioned that stat about the Ravens scoring points offensively, but they are struggling on offense to the point where the defensive players for the Colts were actually calling out the Ravens' signals in this game because they knew – what was coming and Harbaugh said that they need to get more creative on offense. And I think the passing game is clearly what needs to step up for them to get where they want to go. And, you know, I, I've seen some people say that the Ravens are still a good bet to be Super Bowl favorites, but 
not with the problems that they're having offensively. And I think that they're getting like Lamar Jackson, not being able to throw the ball down the field, even like Mark Andrews, who was a staple last year and had a huge season at tight end because he was a safety valve for Lamar Jackson. Even he is not having a good year because he's not getting the ball as much. Marquise Brown, definitely not getting the targets he should be getting. Um, I think if Lamar Jackson, if he doesn't have a big game running the ball and the, and the Ravens can't run the ball, then they struggle offensively. Thankfully, they get the Patriots this upcoming week, and they can't stop anything. So they should be in line for a big week this coming week. But I think going forward, the Ravens need to fix what ails them on the offense because they do have a Super Bowl-caliber roster. But without Lamar Jackson being able to throw the ball, it's, it, they're going to come up short. What week do we see Des Bryant? Uh, he was already in this last week. Yeah. yeah. What, he run a, how many, like two or three downs? Yeah, he only had a, a few snaps, but... No no yeah. targets. No targets. No targets, gotcha. Just a distraction, but not a distraction. <laughs> <laughs> the offense for the Ravens just comes across like, I just feel like Harbaugh tells Jackson, give it two progressions, tuck it, and go. Like, I just don't feel like he just stands in and lets things develop. You know, if he can't fire it out quick off his back foot when he when he gets back to his step, um, it just yeah. The like first he, read's not there. Yeah, and that's, he, he bails. He, he just bails, and you're not going to find any. That's just going to be so much easier for you to be as defense to plan around. If you can just check those receivers and keep them in check, and be able to keep those edges on Jackson, you can control him. Uh, but he's got to get smarter and more confident in that pocket. For sure. You know, he came back and, you know, when he's had time to work on it, on his throwing, then he's he's had some big games. But I think that those games have been few and far between and against inferior opponents. I think that he's got to get to that next level and that's got to come. That's got to it's got to happen against a good, good competition. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see going forward. I think it's definitely the best division in football right now. It's going to be fun to watch. It is definitely fun. All right, up next, we have the Seahawks at the Bills. Uh, We already went through this a little bit, talking about the Seahawks. But Jake Allen and the Bills, 44 points. That's nothing to see that even. Josh Allen. I did it again. God damn it. (laughs) Ah, Josh Allen and the Bills, 44 points. Nothing to sneeze at. Uh, But also giving up 34 points. The Bills improved to seven and two, running away with the division. The Bills are seven and two for the first time since Jim Kelly's team in 1993. Yeah, so they didn't even need to run the ball in this game, so they didn't really. They don't. They kept it to a minimum, and they just said we're playing Seattle. What we do is we throw the ball against Seattle, and they had a lot of success. Of course, they had John Brown in this game, and I think John Brown is a big difference maker for that offense because John Brown he was been out for a few weeks and. When he's back and his speed and he just stretches the field, and I think that just complements everyone so nicely. You know, Diggs gets a lot of targets, Beasley gets a lot of targets, but John Brown just adds an element to the offense that I think, you know, really makes them run. And, yeah, Josh Josh Allen putting up big numbers against Seattle is nothing to be proud of, but he did have a nice game. <laughs> oh, Pete Carroll, another dumb moment on that drive, Johnny, where they could, if they could have stopped that drive, it would have given them an opportunity to get back into the game. Uh, third and 16. Get, and then he decides to blitz. Gets no pressure on Allen whatsoever. He, he did, did acknowledge that after the game, but 
seems like Pete Carroll is good for one of those like two or three times a year. Just like, what the hell are you thinking? Next up, we have the Broncos at Falcons. The Broncos falling 27 to 34. Matt Ryan managing not to blow it late. Yeah, so don't look now, but under Raheem Morris, since head coach Dan Quinn was fired when they were winless, uh, Raheem Morris, the new coach, or the interim coach, is 3-1 and one with the Falcons. And they, they seem to be playing better and winning games that they should be winning. And they're still putting up good numbers, even without Calvin Ridley in this game. They had other guys step up. Uh, Gurley's still performing. And I don't know. I just... I, I like the Broncos to an extent, and so I, I don't think that they're, you know, just a, a an easy win or something you can just be like, oh, whatever, they beat the Broncos. I think beating the Broncos is is a decent win, in my opinion, because I think that Drew Locke and, and the Broncos, I think they fight hard. Like, I've mentioned this a few times, them and the Panthers, I, I, like, the, I like the way that they play. So, good win for the Falcons. Good team. They stay disciplined, just lack a little bit of talent, Johnny. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and how about Jerry Judy? They had him. Uh, so, so you know, he was the best slot receiver coming out of college, and he was playing there to start the year, but they had the Sutton injury, and now they got Judy playing on the outside, and he had a huge game playing on the outside this week. And I know I know it's against the Falcons, and they're, they're no notorious for giving up big numbers, but I think Locke and Jerry Judy are developing a nice connection. And, you know, in a couple of years, we may look back and say Judy was the top receiver in right. this last draft class because hey, he's just such a good, precise route runner, you know. And well, he had that—he had that one touchdown where you know he fooled the de- defensive back. He puts his hand up in the air, saying "throw it deep," and then he just cuts back and catches it short and then burns him. I mean, he just—he does some fun stuff on the field. He's going to be a fun watch for years to come. Yeah, Elway said he thinks he's already been in the top ten of the best route runners in the league already. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's fun to watch. I've, yeah. I've liked him, you know, for the last few years in Alabama. I thought he was really good. Okay, we have the Los Angeles Chargers losing nine straight games to AFC West opponents. Uh, the benefactors this time being the Raiders winning 31 to 26. Another guy getting up for his team was Carr making that run. Johnny going over the top. Yeah, so I didn't I didn't get to see much of this game. Um so unfortunately I don't I don't have much on this on this game aside from, you know, Herbert continues to put up good numbers and for his rookie of the year bid and Keenan Allen's been a monster with Herbert. Justin Jackson went out with an injury before the game even started at running back, so Kalen Ballage ended up having a touchdown in 69 yards, but the, the story I think is the Raiders. Well, maybe the story is the Chargers they play well, but they just don't know how to win. And, of course, so the Raiders take advantage in this game. All right. Next up, we have a game that I definitely followed closely. Uh, thought this was going to be a blowout. But <laughs> despite Cow- the Steelers trying to throw it away like they often do to inferior opponents, they find a way to win 24-19 to against the Gary Gilbert led Dallas Cowboys just sounds scary coming off the, off the lips. Gary Gilbert's <laughs> coming at So you. Ernesto, what did you think of their coaching decision? It was very reminiscent of what Minnesota did in Seattle a couple of weeks ago when they were up by five and they had the ball 
inside the 10-yard line the Steelers did against the Cowboys this past Sunday. And it was fourth down. They're up by five with just around two minutes to go. And instead of kicking a field goal to go up by eight, it was fourth and one. They decide to go for it. And, you know, I just don't really – I guess it's the analytics they're saying, but no, that was a it, play that – It was when anti it it was what analytics to the Vikings a couple weeks ago, it really did damage to their team the following week and the week after, I think, because the team was like, you know, if our head coach isn't even going to help us out in plays like this, then what are we going to do? Thankfully, or, you know, the Steelers and Coach Tomlin didn't end up losing this game because they didn't go against someone like Russell Wilson, but it did come close at the end. The Cowboys had a chance to win the game at the end. Okay, so... It, go ahead, Ernesto. I'll just I'll just lay it out when it first was happening. I mean, as a football fan, having seen this scenario before, knowing that there is a something ridiculous like um, one and a half percent chance on any kick that it'll be blocked, you would think that the numbers and on the face value, the numbers support kicking the field goal there. So I was actually watching. Uh, with my nephews, we're all they were kind of into the game because it, it had taken over the living room. And right as the play clock was getting down to to zero, I actually turned around and made the the timeout gesture. and I didn't even see the play. i didn't I didn't even see the play to James Connor because I didn't think there was a possible way they were actually going to run that play there on fourth down. and I was initially incensed. However, after listening to a bunch of Pittsburgh-centric media, my perspective has shifted a little bit, and I and I I see that special teams was having a bad day. They had a missed extra point. They had a missed field goal. They had a blocked punt and a uh, and a blocked field goal, and the bounces weren't going their way. So. The options were send out the unit that has been letting you down all day and possibly add a fifth gaff to the game for that unit or try and run the ball one yard against literally the worst rush defense in the league and put the game away with 43 seconds to go. Worst case scenario is you don't have a blocked field goal returned for a touchdown. Worst case scenario is you put the one of the best defenses in the league on the field against Gary Gilbert. Right. But and and I think, you know, it was less than an extra point for the try. And I think, you know, it's Boswell. It's not me or you kicking the ball it's, you yeah, know but they, so but they were jumping. you go up by eight points and like you said they're the best defense in the league so the cowboys would have needed to score a touchdown and a two-point conversion just to tie just but not you to gotta win, put you gotta to put your tie you gotta put to your tie. special teams unit on the field and that it, it was just one of those games where it felt like there was a hundred percent chance that that field goal was going to get blocked and returned for a touchdown it was it was it I, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I've okay. I've been I have the the greater Pittsburgh media has uh, has turned me on to this argument and and uh, this is the hill I'm going to die on today. He's drinking okay. the Kool Aid, Johnny. Yeah, he drank the seriously. 
I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> no. Like that is I mean, come on. What are we doing? Like this I, is simple. I like the chance I like the chances. This is simple. I like the chances to to get one yard against the worst rushing defense in the, in the league. Yeah, but you all had it no took was and one, put the game away. You had no took, rushing that game. Right, exactly. No Connor hadn't run at all that game. 22 the, total yards. Right. And then all it took was one play at the end and you would have lost the game. Not <laughs> tied it, lost it. And they almost did lose it. You know, if it if it was a almost throw, only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, my friends. We fucking are eight and zero, and everyone can suck it. If it makes you feel better, Nesto, I was yelling at the TV. Like, you better not fucking win this game, you <laughs> sons of bitches. I don't want right? to see them win the rest of the year. <laughs> I was so pissed. Okay, so the Cowboys were in control most of the day. I think it was a classic Steelers. You know, they let down. And overlook, you know, you the inf- it, inf- you, inferior you, opponents. That's something in the Tomlin regime with Ben Roethlisberger that they've always done. And, you know, so that kind of eliminated Connor from the game plan. And they went a lot with uh, Snell and what's the other guy's name running back? Because they were they had to throw the ball a McFarland. lot. McFarland. McFarland. Anthony McFarland. Right. So that kind of eliminated Connor from the game plan. Thankfully, the receivers came up uh, big time. Juju had a big game. Why don't uh, they throw Claypool, to Juju at the beginning Deontay. of the game? For me, Ernesto, and this is a big weakness, okay? So um, you may go 16-0, and 0, but I think that Steelers need to work on getting explosive plays back. They are last in the league, and they are one of the worst teams over the last few years in stretching the field, which is unusual for a Steelers team because they've been so good at it over the years. But they lack the, the um, explosive plays, and it plays over 20 20 yards down the field. And that's something that could hurt them against a good team like Kansas city or another good team that could score points going forward. So going forward, I think the Steelers need to really work on, you know, if they're not in control of the game, if they get down, they got to be able to find ways to make explosive plays in the, in the game. That's the one weakness I see on that team. Otherwise they look like a fucking wagon. They look great. So that's, that's the one thing that I think the Steelers should work on going forward. I'm also excited to see uh, Avery Williamson uh, get worked into the lineup here in these next couple games because, uh, like, God bless Bob Splane and the job he's doing in this instead of uh, Devin Bush, but he's just not fast enough. It is really tough to watch sometimes. You know, it's just like you just see him. He's given his best, and it, his best is just not good enough. Well, speaking yeah. of your best not being good enough, we had uh, one of the most anticipated matchups of the week, uh, Tua versus Kyler. And Tua comes out on top. The Dolphins in their fourth straight win and their first time winning four straight games since 2016. The Dolphins triumph over the Cardinals 34-31. to Here we go with the Dolphins, fellas. Here we go. Here we go. I mean, the Dolphins are now 10 and 7 in their last 17 games. I think the Dolphins have found a spark. They've found something. I, you know, it's unusual because it's like, how are they doing this with bells and whistles? Because they don't really have much, much offensively. You know, they're down to the third or fourth string running back, you know, because Braid is out and Gaskin was at, hurt the week before. And, you know, Preston Williams went out at receiver. So all they really have is Devontae Parker. Uh, but they're, they're getting it done. The team is playing inspired football, and this was an exciting game. It was a back-and-forth game, a battle of two young quarterbacks. Um, 
On the flip side, Kyla Murray is the number one fantasy producer in the history of the NFL for a quarterback or any player through the first week, nine weeks of the season. Uh, Russell Wilson is number two. That's in the history of the NFL for fantasy. So Kyla Murray is still putting up huge numbers, huge rushing stats. Uh, you had a good back and forth game, an exciting game. And I think that, you know, if you tuned into this game, definitely didn't disappoint at all. And I think Tua looked much better than he did the week before. And if he can keep improving, then, you know, watch, watch out league. I mean, the Dolphins have a, have a good I, culture thing going. Yeah, I think something to point out, though, Johnny, too, with the Dolphins is that they, they play a pretty clean, like, no-mistake football. I mean, like, they don't have mm-hmm. stupid, stupid penalties that, that jump out and bite them in the ass. They don't have, like, third and threes and a holding penalty that pushes them back. Like, they've, they've played smart, and they've played within what they know what they have and what they do. And I, I don't think they take too many chances, but they take enough chances. They're fun to watch. I was kind of like against Tua coming in at, into this season, but seeing how the Patriots have gone downhill, the Bills are suspect. I think they're breathing down the Bills' is now. I think this is a team that could really push towards the end. Major credit to Brian Flores for pulling the trigger True. on that and having it work out, man. Yeah, like, absolutely. The the nutsack on him to to do that because if it doesn't go well that and you lose the Fitz magic, that would have been tough. You know, you you risk losing both the fans and the locker room with a move like that. Well, hats off to Fitzpatrick too for just being a stand up guy, teaching to us, standing in there as his mentor, and gracefully just taking a step back and actually having some of the best tweets and memes on social media these past two weeks as well. All right. Up next, we have a game that we already talked about, the Saints at the Buccaneers. The Saints uh, laying pipe, carrying the season series, winning 38-3, to and Tom Brady throws three interceptions for the first time since week three in 2011. Yeah, and the third interception was kind of just a fuck it, I don't care interception. He was just... You know, he doesn't do that very often, but he was just kind of like had enough at the end of the game and just let it go. But like we said earlier, the Saints just controlled this game from the get-go. They were just scoring often and early while the Buccaneers were going three and out, possession after possession. And it was this is just – I don't know if it's just a Saints-Buccaneers mismatch because the Saints beat the Buccaneers handily in week one as well. But this game has huge consequences for the division – and if there is going to be buys this year, then the Buccaneers likely aren't going to get one because now it's going to be near impossible for the Buccaneers to win the division because if the Saints and the Buccaneers finish tied, the Saints now own that tiebreaker. So essentially, the Saints now have a two-game lead with eight to go in the division, and the schedule isn't very difficult. The Buccaneers' schedule is pretty easy, but the, the Saints' schedule – you know, like they, they got a, they're going to have to lose more than two games to lose the division. And I'm not sure I see that happening. Uh, they got Michael Thomas back this game. So they had their full arse, ar- <clears throat> arsenal of weapons on the field. And they I used thought, every bit of it. Yeah. I thought, I thought they looked really good and I thought they looked dangerous. That it, I think that they might be the Super Bowl favorites for the NFC potentially. Sure, I don't have it right in front of me. I'm pretty sure he hit 12 targets and six of them had over four. Four receptions. Yeah, so watch out for the Saints. I think if you wrote them off earlier this year, like I might have, that might have been a mistake. But then again, Drew Brees' arm got kind of a wet noodle-ish in the second half of last year. So watch for that, what happens, you know, if he tires down the stretch again this year. But then, of course, they just bring in Taysom Hill. So <laughs> and he, he looks outstanding as well. 
He's such a fun player to watch. He just just does it all. What if they pioneer like a new type of football where you have a closer, you know, and <laughs> like like Drew manages the game all game, and then at the end you just Taysom comes in to finish it out. Hey, I always wondered if you have Tom Brady or Drew Brees, like why would you never want to take a, that quarterback off the field? You want them running your offense on every play. But it seems to be working for the Saints. Whenever they bring him in, they get a, they get what they need or a big play out of it. Yep. So it looks like I'm wrong there. And then the Monday night game, the last game of week nine, the Patriots at the Jets, somehow they're managed to be two losers in this game. Oh my God. Johnny, this game, just I didn't take us I didn't away. think that this Patriots Jet game could make me upset. I didn't think it was possible. I knew the Patriots were a big favorite going in. It was seven and a half. The Patriots were favored most of the week. I think it was nine and a half was the spread. The Patriots were favored to win when it kicked off because Sam Darnold, the Jets QB, was out, and it was going to be Joe Flacco starting at quarterback for the Jets. So, you know, obviously minus, minus two and a half points. But – so going in, I'm like, you know, the Patriots aren't good. They're two and five. They're going against the Jets who don't have a win. And the Jets actually had the worst point differential in the history of the NFL through the first uh, seven games of the season. So that's what the Patriots were up against. So I thought that as bad as the Patriots had looked in the past few weeks, losing game after game after game, I thought they would steamroll the Jets in this one. And as the game started and it kicked off and the Jets scored touchdowns early and built an early lead and, you know, scored a touchdown right before halftime and they were up, Jets were up 20 to 10 at halftime. And this will lead into our kind of next topic. I'm looking at the standings of the NFL and I'm looking at this game where the Patriots are losing to the Jets, not just struggling to win. They're losing to the Jets who, like I said earlier, the worst statistical football team in the first half of the NFL in the history, in history, that's the, what the Patriots were losing to 20 to 10 at halftime. And they were actually down 27 to 17 with six minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And I'm just, I'm looking at the standings of the NFL as this game is going on. And I'm thinking to myself, the Patriots have two wins. The Jets have none, but if the Patriots lose this game, they'll still have two wins. The Jets will have one and they play again week 17 so if the Patriots lose that game, the Jets will have two wins. The Patriots may still have two wins, and the Jets will have the tiebreaker. And then I'm looking at the rest of the teams around the league that are bad, right? Jacksonville, one and seven. And then there's Houston and the Chargers, who each have two wins. Washington and Dallas and the Giants all have two wins. But guess what? They're in the NFC East, and they play division games against each other, so they're going to round rob and play each other. So they can't finish with just two wins. Some of those teams are going to win games. So Washington, Dallas, the Giants, at least two of those three aren't going to finish with two wins. And then I'm looking at the Patriots' schedule, and I'm like, hmm, they can play Baltimore. They still play Arizona. They still have some tough games on their schedule. They could lose the rest. So in my head, as this is going on, I see Trevor Lawrence. I see Trevor Lawrence. I see Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence, and he's just he's in a Patriots uniform. <laughs> and it's starting to happen to me, and I'm starting to get overwhelmed with this excitement. And I'm like, oh, my God, this can happen, because I didn't think it was a possibility. I really didn't. I thought the Patriots, there's no way they're going to stink bad enough 
to come close to being the number one pick in next year's draft to get Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence, who's a once-in-a-generational quarterback. We're talking the next John Elway. We're talking the next Peyton Manning. We're talking suck for Andrew Luck. We're talking like he's going to be the number one pick that changes an organization and brings you back from stinky terribleness to you know, a dream football team. That He's that type of quarterback. He is the next generational talented quarterback. So you want the number one pick, right? We all agree on this? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's assumed. So as this game is <laughs> happening and the Patriots are losing to the Jets and Joe Flacco looks like Joe Flacco from the 2010 season, he looks like he's been blessed and he's just shredding the Patriots defense and, you know, the Patriots can't get to him. Um, defensively, and he's just shredding the Patriots secondary, which is supposedly their strength. Um, and it's 27 to 17 with six minutes to go. And then the Jets pull an all-time tank job. They just say, you know what? <laughs> we can't win this game because we want Trevor Lawrence. And so I went from thinking we Patriots might get Trevor Lawrence, the Jets saying, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Stop the press. We want Trevor Lawrence. He is in our future, not yours. So the Patriots down 27 to 17 with six minutes to go in the game. And it's fourth and goal. The Patriots say, we're going to kick a field goal here and cut it to a seven point lead. Okay. But the Jets bring out the field goal block team, but it's essentially an extra, an, an extra point try. You know, it, it's a nothing try. So the field goal block team knows what it is. And when you, when the coach says field goal block team, Everyone knows exactly who they are on that field goal block team. All 11 members of the field goal block team go on the field. But in this case, the Jets had 12 men on the field, (laughs) all set, right? All set and lined up. Not like there was one guy running on the field. No, they were lined up with 12 men on the field. And I'm like, oh, boy, are you kidding me? Is this what's about to happen? I knew it in my head. I'm like, this is going to start to happen. So, and of course the flag comes out, the Jets get penalized for having too many men on the field. So the Patriots get a first down, but they can't get into the end zone and convert a touchdown because the Patriots are just as inept as the Jets are. In fact, even more inept. So eventually the Patriots end up getting the field goal. They cut it to 27-20. And then the Jets get the ball back. And I think Adam Gase and the Jets higher up said to themselves, well, Jesus Christ, we tried to give them the touchdown there, but they couldn't even take it. So what are we going to do now? Right? Give them the ball so what back. Are we gonna, right. So, okay, here's what we're going to do. Throw Flacco, Flacco, you want to keep your job. Throw the ball deep into double coverage and throw an interception. Right? Okay. So sure enough, the next play, the literal next play after the 12 men on the field, Joe Flacco has two men wide open, one five yards from the line of scrimmage, one 10 to 15 yards from the line of scrimmage. In fact, one of them, I think it was Frank Gore, had his hand in the air saying, hello, I'm open here. But no, Flacco would not be deterred. Flacco had dropped back and knew from the instant that play was happening that he was going deep into double coverage in this game. And he does. And of course, what (laughs) happens? The Patriots intercept the ball, right? And then I come to find out a day later, that the New York Daily News has uncovered the fact that the offensive coordinator who usually calls the plays offensively for the Jets did not call that play. In fact, Adam Gase, the head coach, stepped in and made that play call instead of the offensive coordinator. Now, why do you think they would do that? Why would that happen all of a sudden? (laughs) 
because they needed to lose and the Patriots weren't going to, weren't allowing that to happen. So they just, so the coach Adam Gase needed to step in and change things. And he sure did because the Patriots got the ball back and then pre- went on to tie the game. Okay. And they make it 27, 27 with just under two minutes to go. The Jets get the ball back. And then all of a sudden the Patriots hadn't had a sack all night long. Right now, all of a sudden back-to-back plays, they get, they get sacks on Joe Flacco, right? All of a sudden out of the blue. And so the Patriots stop the Jets with just under a minute to go. And the Jets have to punt to the Patriots. And the Patriots have to go like over 70 yards to get in the scoring. Or they're on their own 30-yard line. So they have a ways to go to get in the field goal position. And under a minute to go. And just with ease, you know, and aided by penalties, stupid penalty, a defensive holding penalty by the Jets. And just... With ease, they get down the field, and of course, the Patriots kick a game-winning field goal that you would not believe, 51 yards, and the Patriots went 30-27, to and the players are celebrating like they won the Super Bowl, and I, as a Patriots fan, could not be more upset because all my dreams and hopes of seeing Trevor Lawrence in a Patriots uniforms went out the window with that because now the Patriots have three wins, the Jets have zero, there is absolutely no chance of Trevor Lawrence coming to the Patriots. Now that dream is now dead. And what does that win do for the Patriots? Does anyone know what that win does for the Patriots? Absolutely nothing. nothing. Because guess what? They are actually worse than you thought they were because they were manhandled by the Jets all night long. And it took an all time tanking performance at the end of the game by the Jets, just for the Patriots to win that game. They had to help you out to win that game at the end. They cut up your steak in pieces and fed it to you nicely. So, I don't know what they were (laughs) celebrating. I don't know what the Patriots were celebrating. What are you going to celebrate? Are you celebrating mediocrity for the next 10 years in the NFL? Because guess what? That's what you now have. Now the Patriots are in a division with Josh Allen for the Bills, Tua Tagliavoa for the Dolphins, and now Trevor Lawrence is going to be the quarterback of the Jets. So, very nice. Now those are going to be the quarterbacks that you're facing for the next five to ten years, and the Patriots have who? What, Cam Newton? No, he'll be long gone. Maybe you'll have Jimmy Garoppolo. Guess what? He gets hurt all the time, and he's really not that good. Maybe you'll have Jared Stidham. He sucks, but guess what we all know? <laughs> is When it comes comes to the NFL draft, Bill Belichick hasn't been good in the NFL draft in years. In fact, years. when he has a first-round pick, like pick number 23, he actually will he trade him. down. He will trade down, even though he has needs, and he will take a Division two safety that he doesn't even play a guy from Lenore Ryan, a college you've never even heard of because he just wants to shove it in your face that, Oh, you thought my last draft was bad with Sony Michelle and Nikhil Harry. Guess what? It can get even worse. He's just, he just <laughs> is trolling us at this point. He doesn't care. And I thought the only way for the Patriots to save their next five to 10 years was, Oh, maybe they're so bad that they're going to get Trevor Lawrence. And Belichick can't mess that up, right? They have the number one pick. They have, they have to take Trevor Lawrence, right? But guess what? Whatever pick they end up now, it's going to be around number 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. You know what Belichick's going to do with it? He's going to trade down like he always does. And he's going to accumulate <laughs> picks. And he's going to do something stupid like take a slapdick punter that he's going to cut the next year oh, instead, of taking, in, instead of taking a, a receiver Some that he could catch use. artists off TikTok. Oh, my God. Yeah, seriously. It's unreal. I've had it. I've had it up to here with the Patriots. And now they're winning games against the Jets that they shouldn't even be winning. And there's it's everyone's celebrating it like, oh, we have a season now. No, you don't have a season. You have nothing. And you almost had hopes and dreams. But now you don't even have that. So good. Enjoy. That's it. That's all I got. Uh, Mike. Amazing. Drop. Amazing. <laughs> 
Okay, well, before we head into week 10 picks, we're at the midseason, so let's let's pick a little bit uh, what we think is going to happen for the playoff picture. I'll start by asking you this. Okay, you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. You're 8-0. Your schedule looks like it's pretty easy for the rest of the season aside from the Ravens Thanksgiving Day game. Do you want to go undefeated? No, we need to lose that Ravens game. On okay, that, that's that's what I, I that's my advice to you as someone who's been an undefeated team. I'll that do pressure, my best. The pressure is becomes too much for the players. You yeah. actually lose focus. You lose your razor sharp edge, and the talk becomes too much. I'm telling you, it it just becomes the media pressure. Like you think you can ignore it, you can't. You it just becomes so much and such a huge thing that it is just too much to deal with. And you know, winning a Super Bowl is hard enough. You don't need the added pressure of, of an undefeated season. So uh, I, I agree with that, but more more importantly, I don't think we can beat the Ravens three times in a row. I think that it's gonna be good to lose to the Ravens on Thanksgiving. I, um, I think I, I think you're right. I think I think, right. we, I think, it's a good I think idea. we we still <laughs> yeah I'll do my best. Uh, hmm. We still escape with probably the best record in the division. Maybe the first round by if that's still a thing should when the time comes because they're they're flirting with the idea of the the six eight eight playoff teams per conference. Yeah, yeah. If if there's going to be games missed, which if we look at what's happening in college this week and what the NFL owners just approved, so to start the year they approved seven teams for the playoffs for each conference, a total of fourteen teams with one by. Well, this past week they approved eight teams per conference with so 16 total teams to make the playoffs. And I don't think that includes any buys, right? I just, no, it doesn't include any buys, but I just, okay. hate, I absolutely hate that because, you know, the whole point of winning your division is right. getting that buy. And okay. like, what are, what are we compromising the buy for so that you can, so that you have to play the fucking Chicago bears or the Detroit lions? Like, no, what I agree. Is, what's the, what's if you're the a great point? team, if you're a great team, it's a big disadvantage. Okay. But I think what, I think you need to look big picture. What it's telling you is that the owners expect there to be an interruption in the season. I think that that's what it tells you. And now if we look at what is going on in college this week, in states where the, they don't even know if COVID is real, they, they don't even care about it, well, guess what? The biggest college game of the year annually just got postponed. Alabama-LSU just got postponed. The Ohio State game just got postponed. The Texas A&M game, the Missouri game, Tennessee game, all these huge games this week in college have just been postponed. And I think that that, along with the owners saying we're going to do a 16-team playoff this, this year, I think that they're telling us that they expect there to be an, an interruption this year. And I think that that sucks, but it's something to watch out for. And like, I, I do agree though, if you're a good team, if you're a Pittsburgh, if you're a Kansas city and they take away the buys this year, that's a huge disadvantage because one of the, the perks of being so good in the NFL year after year, I think the Patriots have been Kings of this for the last 20 years as you go 14 and two, 13 and three, and you win your division and you get a buy and you let other teams beat themselves up wildcard weekend, you win one home playoff game, divisional weekend, you know, and it's usually a cupcake tomato can game. And then you go on to the NFC or AFC championship and you win that and you're on to the Super Bowl. It's a much easier path than what they have proposed. And so I do feel for you as a Steelers fan this year, because if that's what's coming and it seems like it is, that's a shame. 
Although yeah. Pittsburgh doesn't just play well with last, a bye. Just sit out the last regular season. <laughs> Although Pittsburgh doesn't play well with a bye. Use it with the extra rest. Yeah, but we didn't get a bye this year. You know, you you've True that. Don't don't forget that we had that week four quote unquote bye due to the, the Titans game getting postponed. Right. right but right. they didn't even find out that was a bye week until Friday. So there was no re- relaxation. There was no recuperation. However, you do bring up a good point. Tomlin led teams are usually not great coming out of a bye. So maybe this is going to keep us sharp. But yeah, I mean, you could see, you know, in this Dallas game, guys like David DeCastro and Marquise Pouncey were late coming off the ball. They were not able to establish a run game, which is something that a Steelers team almost never has trouble doing. It's certainly not against a team like the Cowboys. No offense, Marty, but. I have no soul. You can do that. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, kicking it over to you too, Marty. What what do you see for this postseason? Miami Buffalo is going to be fun to watch. We kind of touched base on that earlier. See how that plays out. I think uh, Buffalo has a long, long way to go before they go deep into the playoffs. Um, I like Pittsburgh, even though how they came out against Dallas. Uh, you got to like their weapons. You got to like that defense, and and defense wins national championships and. You know, they've given up uh, 161 points so far in the league, which is one of the best, while still putting up over 230 on, on their side, offensive side of the ball. So that's that's the numbers you want to see when, it's, when it comes to winning championships. Tennessee's going to be fun to play out. Uh, it's kind of one of those things. I wonder if they're just going to get a chip on their shoulder because, like we talked about earlier, I just don't think they get enough recognition that they deserve. Maybe it's because this is a Tanner Hill-led team and they think something will go wrong at some point. Uh, but, you know, as Brown gets better, um, you know, that that offense is just going to be that much more powerful. Um, I, it's just, I think the laughing stock of the whole thing is seeing how the NFC East unfolds and, and just how bad it's going to look at look like for that division winner to have to play, you basically play a team that's supposed to be really not set up to beat you, but you have no standing chance in the first game of the playoffs because you're you're just that bad. It's a real that shame. Awful. It's a real shame well, that a team from a the NFC years East ago, has to win. Yeah. Ten years, ten years ago, we saw the beast beast mode game, where the seven and nine Seahawks won their division and faced a really good um, New Orleans Saints team, and the Saints had to go on the road to Seattle, and the seven and nine Seahawks upset them. So you could see something crazy like that happen, which is unfortunate right. if you're a good team to have to put up with that shit. Right. I just don't see that in any team in this division. It's, you don't it's, think the Eagles can get hot? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, you see those flashes of brilliance with Wentz here and there, but it's far too... If they get healthy? Not consistent, you know? And he, You know, if Wentz can't stay healthy and he, lose, and he just lost again, when you just got him back, he lost him again to Deshaun Jackson. I, I just don't... You know, these teams... It's going to be funny how the division games play out and see if they start trying to take games and lose games. Like you said, Johnny, you're going to be trading those off. It's just too hard. Everybody's going to catch a win here and there. What about it's Washington? Just, it's just if the Philly wants to invest in the idea of trying to put a winning streak together and get it going for the playoffs, if they can get that going, that's, you're in the right division to, to, to win easy games. But Should like, we get behind Washington? Can we, can we get behind Washington? 
Nobody would expect no, that. They've who? already who? lost two games to they lost two games to Philadelphia. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, they're two and six, you're right. But Philly it okay. Okay. Now it's yeah. just trying trying something different. It's not gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's yeah. do the eight playoff teams from the AFC right now. So let's go with eight, because that's what I okay. think right now. All right. All right, so we got Pittsburgh and Kansas City at the top. And then we have a flawed Buffalo team, a flawed Tennessee team, especially defensively for both of them. A flawed Baltimore team is the five seed right now, you know, because they can't pass the ball. And then we have the Vegas Raiders as the six seed. And then it's uh, between the Dolphins and the Cleveland Browns and the Indianapolis Colts for three teams to get the last two spots. I'm putting the Dolphins up there. I think Dolphins and the Browns. I think the Colts are going to have a long-term effect. Uh, I think it's only going to get worse offensively with Rivers. I but can he, any of those teams out outdo Pittsburgh or Kansas City? Do you see a threat from any of those teams? I don't think so, but I think the Browns make it because let's not forget that the AFC North is playing the uh, NFC least uh, right, right, this right, year. Right. So that that's free wins everywhere. Good call. I think it's it is between three teams for the AFC – uh, and Who's three? no surprise, KF, uh, the K, I almost said KFC, <laughs> <laughs> Kentucky Football Club, <laughs> Kentucky Fried Football, maybe Kansas Football Club. The, where the, the, where the league's going, the, the Kansas, yeah, no kidding, Jesus, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Baltimore Ravens. Okay. It's, Okay. I don't even, it, I, I take Baltimore right out of that. It's really anybody's game there. Yeah. Okay. I, just, I, I think with their scoring woes or, or inefficiency, I should say, their lack of scoring, you know, I think Ravens have a long way to go to even get to the level of Pittsburgh and Kansas City right now. Yeah. No, I am with you. I agree with you on that. Okay. Let's flip to the uh, to the dark side to the NFC where we have. Uh, so we'll take eight teams right now at the top. We are looking at New Orleans, Seattle, and Green Bay, all six and two. And then the other division leader is Philadelphia, three, four, and one. <laughs> and then the other playoff teams right now are Tampa Bay at six and three is the five seed. And then you have Arizona and then the LA Rams at six and seven. And then you have the Chicago Bears, the eight seed at five and four. Um, so, I mean, to me, it seems like New Orleans right now is a clear cut number one at six and two. Um, mm-hmm. What do you guys see? Definitely agree about New Orleans. Um, San Francisco, I, I think with Seahawks in that division, having to play the Rams and you play in the 49ers and Cardinals, going to be a lot of trade off of wins and losses in that league. Um, definitely the case right there. I think Green Bay is super strong, though. Yes, I, mean, I agree. Just, just a hair under New Orleans right um, now. I'm only saying that because kind of you touched on it, Johnny. I just don't know. I'm still not 100% bought in with Drew Brees. I still think there might be something there that he might get a little bit of weak, uh, mm. weak towards the end of the season, or, or just kind of stumble here and there a couple of games. I don't know. They're becoming notorious playoff chokers too throughout the years, right? Like that's becoming their thing, right? Right. I'm definitely high on Green Bay. I like what Aaron Rodgers is doing. I was surprised that they didn't get him some more help at the trade deadline this year. I thought they were going to bring something in. Uh, I mean, it's pretty open, isn't it? I mean, you look at this, it is, it is pretty open. I mean, there is, yeah. I mean, you could make a case for almost 
I, aside from the Eagles, I guess you got to take them out. But New Orleans, Seattle, Green Bay, Seattle's defense is terrible, though. But and then Tampa Bay is Tampa Bay. Arizona is exciting, but they're young. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it has to be the Saints or Green Bay, I guess. I, I don't know. Well, a lot of these losses for these top tier teams, like these six and two teams, even for Kansas City to falter, like there's been these blunder type losses in the organization that kind of leave you head scratching or, you know, are they ill prepared some weeks, taking it lightly, not looking ahead and not being prepared? I, I think there's just going to be some surprising and shocking wins in, in this in this division being the NFC towards the end of the year that could switch a couple of things as far as like that six, you know, that five to eight seed dramatically. Yeah. Side. Yeah. Not so much, not so much AFC, but I think you're going to see a lot of changes on the NFC side and those, those later seeds. Right. So even like, so we look at like, I think San Francisco, they're, they're hurting for certain right now because they're just so beat up. They're so beat up, but they're four and five. And then below that, you got Minnesota three and five is one, two in a row. You got the Falcons who are three and one in their last four games to three and six, the Carolina, they play hard. They're three and six. I mean, you know, if, if the Rams or Arizona falters, is there enough time for any of those other teams to make it up? I don't know. And like you said, you touched on it earlier with the coaching change. Atlanta's three and one. If they find some type of streak, can find some some resemblance of a defense towards the end of the season and put something together. Uh, they definitely have the offensive uh, weapons to win games. It's just mm, their schedule's is tough. Yeah. So tough they get two against New Orleans, two against Tampa Bay, and one against Kansas City. Yeah, no way. Wow. No way. Wow. They are cooked. Wow. Bye bye, Atlanta. <laughs> All right. Don't well, bet we're... on them. We're up against the clock here, so we should okay. definitely head into week 10 picks against the spread. Johnny, take a deep breath, and let's get through this. Okay, let's start with tomorrow night. We have the AFC South Showdown, the Thursday night special. It's actually pretty good this week. We don't have the usual stinker. We have the 5-3 and three Indianapolis Colts travel to Tennessee to face the 6-2 and two Tennessee Titans. In this game, I think surprisingly... The Tennessee Titans are only a two-point favorite. I like Tennessee in this game quite a bit. I'm not really sure why the spread is so low in this game. I guess the Colts have owned the Titans over the years, right? They've really, over the years, the the Colts have owned the Titans. Like, owned, owned, owned. Like, won almost every time, I think, except for, like, once last year. So, I think the Colts have some kind of edge over the Titans. But on a short week, I think that the Titans can can pull this one out. And I think that the Rivers and the Colts are going to have a tough time exposing Tennessee's defensive problems in this game. So I think the Titans can play on their terms and win the game. So I do like Tennessee minus two. Nice. All right, let's go to Sunday. Sunday we have a strange schedule because there's five one o'clock games and then six four o'clock games. I don't remember ever seeing a schedule like that on Sunday, but I like it. First up, we have the Houston Texans, two and six, at the Cleveland Browns, five and three. In this game, Cleveland is minus three and a half. We have Baker Mayfield on COVID watch right now, but it looks like he should play. I'm not sure if Nick Chubb's going to be back for this game, but he is supposed to be back soon. I think he is practicing. Um, in this game, I got Cleveland minus three and a half. All right, next on the docket, we have. Houston or Washington, I'm sorry, the Washington football team, two and six at the Detroit Lions, three and five. Stafford's hurt. We don't know who the quarterback is this week for the football team, Washington. 
So I don't have a line. Do you guys have a line on this game? Uh, minus four and a half Lions. I'm going to go Washington plus four and a half. Especially if it's Alex Smith. I, I would like that a lot. I mean, he's not great, but I think that he can keep it close. And without Galladay, I think the, the Lions struggle offensively. Hmm. So I like Washington plus four and a half. Um, you know, it's a situation and a spot that would usually be in line for a max play, but I don't think I'll ever endorse a max play on Washington, the Redskins. Right. <laughs> that seems We've talked appropriate. That. All right. Next up, we have a big one. We have the Jacksonville Jaguars one and seven traveling to Green Bay to face the Packers six and two. The line is Green Bay minus 13 and a half. So we're probably going to get Jake Luton again in this game with the Jaguars team who's going to struggle to win another game this year. So I'm going to go with the Packers to take care of business here. Back Packers minus 13 and a half. Next up, Philadelphia Eagles, three, four, and one. Travel to New York to face the Giants, who are two and seven. In this game, the Eagles are minus three. I do like the way the Giants are playing lately, but... That's a tough game. These two teams hate each other. Um, I'm going to go Eagles minus three here. I just think if you're Eagles and you're, you're actually wanting to win and this is about winning the division, you got to say, yeah, you got to win this game right here. Same for the Giants. So the Giants can probably say, like, if we win this game, it ain't over, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. so weird. Crazy division. <laughs> All right. Next on the docket, we have Denver Broncos three and five. Travel to Las Vegas to face the Raiders, five and three. In this game, Las Vegas is minus five point favorites. You know, the Raiders are in good position. They're playing good football, but they're not a great team. Uh, this is another battle between two teams that hate each other a lot. So it's a rivalry game. And I like the way the Broncos play competitively, even though they're not great. So I'm going to go Denver plus five in this game. I'll take the Raiders right there. All right, next up, we have the L.A. Chargers, 2-6, and six, traveling to Miami, who is 5-3 and three and feeling good. Surprisingly, the line is only Miami, minus 2.5. I am going to go Miami, minus 2.5, and, and I'm going to also go, also go max play on this one. But something's max, amiss max, here. Max, 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 Because play, the Chargers play, play. can't win. The Chargers have a tough – you know, they play well, they get leads, but they blow games. They don't know how to win. And the Dolphins are playing really well, but they're only a two and a half point favorite at home. That seems something seems strange here, but Can't I'm endorsing the Dolphins. I'm endorsing in this. I'm going to a Dolphins feeling good. Max play. Let's do it. I'm trusting them. Max play. I'm in. I like it. All right. Next up, we have the Bills seven and two traveling to Arizona to face the Cardinals five and three. In this game, Arizona is minus one and a half, and I am going with Arizona minus one and a half in this game. I think the Bills have just come off two pretty tough games, and I think it's a, a tough spot to keep the momentum going. And I think their defense can be exposed in this game. I'm going to say for the sake of the show, and I think this is actually going to be a really fun competitive game. Yes, should be. Um, I'll take the Bills right here. But I, for, for the logical side and, and to ensure, you know, ensure your uh, listeners out there who are going to follow your bets and put, lay, lay money down on the line, I think the uh, Cardinals will win. Okay. All right. Next on the docket, we have Tampa Bay, six and three, or the Buccaneers, and they go to Carolina to face the three and six Panthers. We mentioned earlier that McCaffrey is out or doubtful for this game. Tampa Bay is a five point favorite and a bounce, bounce back spot in this game. 
But I'm going to go Carolina plus five. I smell something funny happening in Tampa. So I like Carolina quite a bit here. Maybe not to win, but I think they'll cover. Uh, next up, we have the Seattle Seahawks, six and two at the LA Rams, five and three. In this game, the Rams are minus one and a half point favorites. I'm going to go with Seattle here. I know I had them as the fraud of the week, but they're really going to be a fraud in the week here if they burn me. I'm going to go Seattle plus one and a half. Taking the Rams there. Okay. I think that so when the Rams last played, they had a bye week past week, but the week before they played Miami. And I think Miami, I was reading something, I think it was in The Athletic, or I forget where I was reading it, but there was something, Miami figured out something about the Rams and their misdirection offense. And, you know, the Rams are all about sending one guy here and throwing the, looking back the other way and throwing the other guy. So Miami figured something out about the Rams offense. And if McVay didn't, didn't correct that during the bye week, that they would have major problems going forward. So. I don't know if they self-scout, but I'm going to bank on them not fixing their issue and the Seahawks being smart enough to expose their issue. So I got, yeah, Seahawks plus one and a half here. All right. Okay, next up we have the Niners, four and five, all banged up, traveling to New Orleans to face the six and two Saints, feeling good. In this game, New Orleans is minus nine and a half. Uh, this is just a spot where I just think that everybody's going to be feeling high on the Saints because of what they just watched last week, and that makes sense. Uh, but I think the line makers already adjusted for that, so I'm going to go with Niners plus nine and a half here. Next on the docket, we have the Cincinnati Bengals, two, five, and one, and they're coming off a bye uh, with Joe Burrow and Mixon, I think, is going to be back for this game. And the line, their, their line should be a little bit healthier in this game. They had a lot of injuries on the offensive line last last time they played against the Titans, but they should be healthier this week. They played the Steelers, 8-0. In this game, the Steelers are minus 7.5-point favorites, and I actually like that quite a bit. So I'm going to go Pittsburgh, minus 7.5, and, and I'm going to go max play here. Johnny, did you see the video that was put out of the Bengals player? And I've been trying to look to see who it was, but I can't find it. I think they've erased all trace of it on the internet. The Bengals player shining his shoe with the terrible towel. Did you happen to see that? I did not, no. Well, that was on the interwebs. And I don't know if you know this, but the the Bengals haven't won a playoff game in like uh, 30 years or something. (laughs) So. I feel like there's a lot of bulletin board material here. I feel so like they'll be ready. So the Steelers will be ready this week. This is my max play of this. All right. <laughs> so we've got two max plays and that's the Steelers. We're all over the Steelers. I actually have a third one too. So Ben's all right. good. No COVID watch for Ben Roethlisberger. He's good. Uh, yeah. Vance. So Vance McDonald uh, did test positive for COVID. Ben Roethlisberger was uh, identified as a close contact uh, so he, as part of the protocol, will be home all week nursing uh, not one but two knee injuries. So probably the best place for him to be. But uh, although I will say, Johnny, you know, Ben Roethlisberger has this reputation for being the guy who kind of plays up his injuries. Maybe does a little Michael a Jordan, little. does a little Michael Jordan on it, and uh, you know plays up the thing in his mind to make it more significant than it is to motivate him to the Paul Pierce, a little Willis Reed. Yep. Yeah. You know, just 
yeah, fucking, I'm playing hurt. All of a yeah. sudden, I'm the best I've ever been. That's here's how, what that's, I'm dealing with, and now I play great. Yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, lad. I love the sun, the uh, Sunday night game this week. I think it's a slam dunk home run. I think uh, you got the Ravens six and two traveling to New England to face the Patriots three and five. Let me tell you, the Patriots defense. Okay, they were without their three best players at all three levels last week. Defensive lineman Lawrence Guy, Juwan Bentley at linebacker, Stefan Gilmore in the secondary. And if that continues this week, like the, the Patriots can't stop the run, right? They, they just – we've seen them. They get absolutely gashed on the running game. They just – I mean, they get bullied. And what do the Ravens do well? Run the ball. So, I mean, you're going to see complete ownership in this game, in my opinion. You're going to see the Ravens control the game, control the clock, and just push the Patriots around. And you got the Ravens minus seven in this game, and I love it. And that's my third max play of the week. It's rare that you see that, but I, I love this game a lot. I like the Ravens a ton here. I just think the Patriots, I mean, we saw what happened to the Jets last week, and that was against the Jets. And like I said, statistically, they were the worst team in the first half of any football season in the history of football, and the Patriots needed the Jets to tank for the Patriots to pull that game out late. So, I mean, this is not setting up good for the Patriots. So I got Baltimore minus seven here. Johnny Frisky with the three max plays. Yeah. Nesto, I think his hardware is going to reach his port tonight. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last but not least, we have NFC North battle. We have the Vikings, three and five, traveling to Chicago to take on the Bears, the sliding Bears, five and four. In this game, we said, you know, we said a couple weeks ago when the Bears were five and one that they were just looking fraudulent, fraudulent, fraudulent. And they've lost three in a row. And now they play the Vikings at home on Monday night. The Vikings are two and a half point favorites, even though they're on the road in this game. Um, I'm going to go with it because I, I like the way the Vikings are playing, running the ball. They, you know, I don't think that Dalvin Cook's going to have 200 yards rushing against the Bears defense. But I, I do think that the Bears are just. I mean, they're not as they weren't a five and one team. I think the Vikings are trying to make something of their season and they're doing a good job of it and they're starting to play better and find themselves. So I'm going to go Minnesota minus two and a half. I don't love it, but I need to pick it. So, all right, I'll take the Bears there to finish out the fifth pick. Okay. And that is week 10 in the books. All right. Well, this was a long one, guys. And uh, God bless you to anybody who is still here with us. Uh, so thank you for listening. Like us on the stuff. And if it's all right with you, I'm going to get to editing this thing. <laughs> Not a problem. Point out if you didn't right. with us that Johnny went eight and five last week. It was a good week. Oh, yeah. Hitting the groove. Hitting the groove. All right. Have a good night. Have a good night, guys. Bye.